0: okay well you know we started last week a study of baptism we got into a little bit last week when we were talking about the baptism and the teaching of the apostles and for the next couple weeks we're going to get a little dig a little further into that and a couple of the apostles apostles and and read about some teachings they have about baptism in their letters in the epistles Uh, in our first lesson we 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 showed how baptism plays a prominent role in apostolic teaching. In every case of conversion, remember we talked about described described in Acts, there's a a baptism that's mentioned every time. Um, So we also saw where baptism is mentioned in the Great Commission, right? Jesus in Matthew 28 said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So we saw how it's a very important thing. It's a very important piece of that process of salvation right and we we saw that uh, the apostles proclaimed certain things there in Acts right in Acts 2 uh, where it was commanded by Peter in the first sermon uh, for the remission of sins and we talked about how in Acts 22 when Paul was recounting his conversion how it was done to wash away sins and how Acts 8 36 to 38 and 10 48 it refers to water being baptized in the water and it was done Immediately, as we saw in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer. Even after midnight, they were going and baptizing him and his household. So it was something that was urgent, something that was done immediately, something that they didn't wait around for to do. Well, today's lesson, we're going to discuss some things that Paul had to say in his letters uh, outside of the book of Acts. Um, And we want to see, is is it a fair conclusion to draw that... uh, The preaching of the apostles shows us that baptism is essential to salvation. And is the conclusion consistent, is is that description of baptism consistent with what the apostles were teaching, what's found in their letters? Well to do that, let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. And if you've ever had a study of baptism, which you probably have, I'm sure you refer to Romans chapter 6, because Romans chapter 6 has a lot to say about it. Apostle Paul has a lot to say to the church in Rome. About baptism, and we're going to read that right here. But I want you to see. I want you to pay attention to these verses, because I, if you ever have a discussion with someone on this issue, you probably want to refer to Romans six, okay? And you're going to have a discussion, and you might have a heated discussion, as I have had, over Romans six. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Romans six, and let's begin in verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death. Notice that word, united together. We've been united with Him. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, baptism we read here is a burial. Interesting, isn't it? We are baptized into the death of Christ. What? What, what does that mean? We, do we really die? Are we really dying there? Verse 4, we're buried with him, buried with Christ in the death. Verse 4 and 5. Done in order that we might walk in a newness of life, just as he did. What does that mean? Verse 6. We are crucifying the old man; that body of sin may be destroyed. And then verses seven through eleven. Therefore, it frees us up from sin as we die to sin, that we might do what? Live freely in Christ. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting phrases to refer to the act of baptism. What it what it really means? Now, sure, we're not dying physically. It's symbolic but we are being buried with him and we are crucifying that old body of sin when this occurs something you need to note about that Paul does not say notice this he does not say that that baptism symbolizes something that's already occurred he doesn't say that in fact on the contrary it seems to me the purpose of doing it is to do that right is to Wash those sins away. Crucify the old body of sin. Be dying to the old body of sin. Dying to sin. Raise a newness of life. Paul doesn't say anything like that. Yet you might have heard that before. You might have heard someone say that. That, well, he was already saved. This is just his symbolic act to show his faith. Verse 4 says, We were buried with him through baptism into death. It's a baptism. For we were buried to Christ and to his death. Therefore we die to what? Sin. In other words, that's when this occurs. That's when the sin is washed away. We are dying to it. We are symbolically showing we are dying to sin. The sins are being washed at that point. Note also how he prefaces his remarks in verse 3 there. He says, as many as were baptized in, the Greek, in the Christ Jesus were the ones who receive this blessing. Not the ones who are not baptized, not the ones who say a sinner's prayer, it's those who are baptized into Christ who receive these blessings. What are those not baptized? Well, remember how we talked about the correspondence truth philosophy? It's either true or false, right? One or the other, if you're baptized into Christ, you receive these blessings, if you're not, you do not. It's interesting, uh, in, in your outline, uh, Brother Copeland mentions Martin Luther, and I, I'll, I'll read here what he said here, and you can see it in your outline, but we've had some discussions around Martin Luther before. If you know anything about the history of the church, Martin Luther came around in the 1500s. He was a German theologian, uh, Catholic, right? And he began reading, his studying his Bible. Uh, And eventually, he came up with the 95 Thesis, which supposedly he tacked on the Church of Wittenberg in Germany and said, these are the things that are wrong with Catholicism. Particularly around the fact that the Pope had allowed people you could buy indulgences to get your loved ones out of purgatory you know, after they die and things like that. But he began to read his Bible, and it's particularly in Romans where it said, you're saved by faith, and he would say faith alone. But notice what he said about... Baptism, it's in your outline there, and where did it go? Yeah, on the second page, and this is Brother Copeland mentioned, because he does have some interesting things to say about baptism. You might have heard Martha say his famous phrase, faith alone, you're saved by faith alone, right? Well, that works, and we'll get into that in a minute. But he said, baptism has been instituted that it should lead us to the blessings of his death, and through such death, to eternal life. Therefore, it is necessary that we should be baptized into Jesus Christ and his death. Now you've probably, if you've had a discussion with someone who doesn't believe baptism is necessary to salvation, they probably quoted Martin Luther or John Calvin or some of the other famous historic theologians that you've heard about. And they probably quoted Martin Luther saying, you're saved by faith alone, not by works. And they referred to baptism as being a work. Martin Luther had a few different things to say about that there. It's interesting, that commentary. Believing believing that we are justified by grace through faith, and he would say faith alone, Luther understood that salvation by faith did not preclude the necessity of baptism. And then we're going to see a little later how Paul wrote about that. Let's look at the epistle of Galatians that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Let's see what he said about it there. Turn over Galatians chapter um, 3. Let's read a few verses. Beginning in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now now Paul's, the context there, Paul is trying to say you're all one, okay? There's no divisions. Once you're baptized in Christ, you're all one. But notice the phrase he uses there. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ so you see from this verse we see we put on Christ when we're baptized interesting isn't it it's not when we say a sinner's prayer he doesn't mention that He doesn't say when you pray you become a Christian or you put on Christ it's when you're baptized baptism is how we put him on put on Christ baptism is involved in a process of becoming a son of God hmm. we talked about that a lot right We talked about how we're in the kingdom. The church on earth is part of the kingdom of heaven, where Christ is reigning in his kingdom now, and how we become children of God when we become part of that kingdom. We'll talk a minute about how we get into the kingdom. We read that in John 3, right? We'll look at that in a minute. The 4 that begins, verse 27 there, begins an explanation as to how we become sons of God through faith. Baptism is therefore the means by which we put on Christ and become sons of God. And we'll read from John 3, that's how we get into the kingdom. That's how we become part of the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, isn't it? Paul wrote, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many means no more or no less. One or the other, right? Only those who have been baptized into Christ have really received Christ into their lives. Now you can say, well, you can pray him into your heart, all these things. That's not what Paul says here. He's writing to the church in Galatia, and he's saying, this is how you put on Christ. Many of you, for as many of you have been baptized, in him, have put him on. Many will teach, well, you can receive Christ by just saying the sinner's prayer, but we don't see that in the Bible anywhere. That's not taught in the scriptures. Rather, one puts on or receives Christ when they are baptized into him. Brother Copeland mentions something else that Luther said there. He says, Wherefore, baptism is a thing of great force and efficacy. Now, one thing we're going to talk about is this is not a form of work salvation. You might have heard that. You might have heard somebody say salvation is a free gift, and that's true. But then they'll say works don't come into it, including Baptism, we're going to talk about that. Let's look at what Paul said in the epistle to the Colossians. Turn over to Colossians. And we're going to look at chapter (coughs) 2. And let's begin in verse 11. He says, In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised in him, with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." Now here we have a reference to circumcision. What was circumcision to the Jews? It showed you were truly a Jew, right? That was the sign. That was what every Jewish boy, baby boy, went through. Any proselytized Jew would have gone through that to show that they were Jewish, that they were practicing Judaism. Now we have a reference here to baptism that's kind of comparing it, right? A spiritual circumcision in which sins are cast away. A burial with a Christ and also a resurrection with him. There he is. Just like he was talking about in Romans 6. There's that burial and resurrection again. Made effective through faith. And notice this: in the working of God, in which God makes us alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. Now what did I just say there? I was just talking about the fact that many will say baptism is because it's a work. You can't receive salvation through works, which is true. But baptism is not a work, at least not of a man, right? Baptism is a work of God. Oh sure, we have to make the effort to obey. We have to make the effort to go forward and say, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But that's not a work. You're simply obeying the commands. The work is, God, is done by God. The working is done by God. Luther said, yes, it is true. Therefore, works are of no use for salvation. Baptism, however, is not our work, but God's. When you think about it like that, it makes more sense, doesn't it? Makes a lot more sense. <coughs> Paul had a lot to say about baptism in his epistles. Turn over to Titus and let's see what he said to Titus about it. Titus chapter 3. And he's reminding, he's reminding Titus of a few things, particularly about uh, how to deal with people and things like that, and how to help, how to teach. Verse 1, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward men, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And how did he do that? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right. Paul tells Titus, we were saved by a washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay. We've already seen from Romans 6 we're raised to walk in newness of life, right? We're already seen in Colossians 2 we're made alive by God. Doesn't this suggest the washing and regeneration that's referred to here would be referring to baptism? Seems to me, right? Seems to me that that's what he's talking about. Martin Luther and others understood this to be baptism, understood this to refer to that. Therefore, God saves us through baptism. Now remember, it's not the water. This is where we come in contact with that blood. Water doesn't do anything other than just, that's our symbolic burial. We're being buried in His death, right? We're being washed by His blood. But it's also a renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not just the water that's involved here. God is at work. Spirit is at work, regenerating us to walk in newness of life. You might say, well, how does that happen? Well, it is an interesting question. Turn over to John, and let's see what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We studied this back a little bit when we were studying the book of John. But let's go back to John 3 and begin reading again in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, The ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Interesting how Nicodemus recognized who he was through the signs. Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, me must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who was born of the spirit. What is Jesus talking about there? Well, it kind of sounds like what we just read in Titus, right? Being born, buried with him in baptism, raised in newness of life through the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not we don't go back in the mother's womb physically to be born again. Spiritually speaking, we are born of the spirit through our baptism. Now, you might have heard many say, well, he's talking about Holy Spirit baptism. Hmm. Then what's the water part there? I mean, why would he be saying, unless one's born of water, we're obviously born, right? We're obviously already here. I would be referring to that again if we had to do it again. does make any sense. It must be talking about what he's referring to there in Titus, is it not? You see, it's not our work It's the work of the Spirit. God is at work, transforming us, forgiving us our sins through His Son, through the blood of Christ, and raising us to walk in newness of life. It's not a work. It's not a work on our part. It's a renewing of the Spirit, leading us into the kingdom. This doesn't occur because we've earned it. This doesn't occur because we decided to do it, other than the fact that we're obedient to Him. This plan has been laid out by God. This plan has been laid out by God through the apostles and the Spirit commanding us to do it. Baptism is not a work of righteousness by virtue of which we earn salvation. It doesn't happen. We are saved by the kindness, love, and mercy of God. It's God's mercy that saves us which he does for the washing and regeneration of the Spirit. Makes sense. Seems to me. Yet I've been in many discussions where that was a heated argument right there. Heated argument saying, no, that's not water baptism, that's Holy Spirit baptism. We're not going to get into that today, but we will in our study here what Holy Spirit baptism really is. But that's a big discussion. In fact, you might have heard someone say, even in Romans 6, He's referring to Holy Spirit baptism. I've had a person tell me, whenever he says you're baptized into Christ, that's referring to Holy Spirit baptism. How do you know that? Well, we just do? Interesting. We'll discuss that later. But that's not what he's getting at here. We're baptized into Christ through his work. Read on there and and let's back over to Titus and let's read on there. Well, actually, I did read on Let's read it again. <clears throat> uh, beginning of verse, uh, let's, uh, verse 6 there. Whom he, he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life this is a faithful saying and these things i want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in god should be careful to maintain good works these things are good and profitable to men now it's interesting how he would even refer to good works in that phrase right because so many would say we're saved by faith alone and that's true but we know from this passage and james that we show our faith through our works right But baptism is not part of that. Baptism is the work of God. Through his mercy, we are glorified, we're justified by his grace. So, what did Paul teach about baptism? He says it's burial into the death of Christ, right? How one dies to sin and is crucified with him. Okay? A resurrection with Christ so we can rise to walk in newness of life they putting on a Christ, thereby becoming a child of God. And as I've mentioned many times, we get into the kingdom. I mean, we have to be in the kingdom to be children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. You may have heard that phrase. If you say we're creation of God, you might say, well, we're children of God because we're created by him. And you might say that's a true statement. But spiritually speaking, we're not children of God unless we have obeyed. That plan. Turn over back over to Romans 6. I want you to see this. <clears throat> so I was at, finished in verse 11. Let's start at verse 12, where he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you, you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Once we are baptized into him, we are dead to sin. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but we become a new creature, washed free, new, clean slate, and we begin our walk with him. Dying, dead to sin, newness of life, not using our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but turning, repenting, changing our hearts, changing our minds, allowing Him to transform us into His likeness. And then verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Notice Paul's answering some things that were going on here in Rome, right? They were continuing to sin because they're saying, well... I'm forgiven. I can sin. Big deal. What be? He said, No, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. We saw this in John, right? Jesus said, The truth shall make you free free from what? Sin. Free from the slavery of sin. You're going to be a slave to someone. You're going to worship someone. That's just how we are. It's going to be God or it's going to be Satan. It's going to be truth, life living in Him, in Christ, or a life living, lived in sin. And then he goes on and tells those in Rome, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What is he talking about there? Well, he just told you in the first part of chapter 6. That form of doctrine that you obeyed, you repented in your heart, and you were baptized into Christ. Now you're free from sin, just like he's talking about. So it doesn't occur until that happens, right? It doesn't occur until you obey that form of doctrine. Not your work. It is the Spirit that's doing it. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, it's hard for you to understand these things. But just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Yes, sir. And yet they continue doing sinful acts. Yes, yeah, absolutely. brother. I was just saying, yeah, there's many that say, I have the Lord in my heart, and they'll they act like a, A heathen right yes absolutely you see that all the time You probably have some friends or co-workers or people you know that say they're Christians and yet live like well don't live like what scripture talks about right and yes I'm not saying we're perfect we're gonna sin but there is something that we have to see there there is a change there's a repentance there's a turn a godly sorrow about sin, a turn to living like Christ. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, don't you need to try to live like him? Yeah. Well, you heard many, I've, it's interesting to see someone, you know, they'll talk about they're Christian and this and that, and then you see them in a bar or, or you know, wherever, and you think, Huh? And, and, and you don't want to be a judgeful person, but you wonder what they're meaning by that, what they're talking about, you know? Those things occur. <coughs> Baptism is where we are buried into his death, freed from sin. If you're going to continue in it, what's the point in doing it? Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Now, yeah, Kurt's saying, you know, we, judgment is an interesting word. There, we 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 gonna see things as we know the truth, and that's true. As you gain revelation, as you learn truth, and we talk about that. That's our standard, right? A couple weeks ago, we were talking about what is truth. We know things simply by observation, but there's some things we don't know in the flesh, and we have to have them revealed to us, right? For instance, what is sin? We don't necessarily know what sin is except through the word that's been revealed. So when we know these things, we see what's going on, and we think, well, that's not right because the world says this is truth and we see, no, that's not what the standard shows us. That's not what we see in the Word. So, yes, we don't want to be judgmental, but we have a certain discernment that we have gained because we know the truth now. Right? Makes sense? So, yeah, we're going to see things that we just know are not right. It's interesting, isn't it? We're not the ones to judge, but we are commanded to take care of one another. We're commanded to rebuke a brother who's in sin. Since we know that, we can discern the truth. We should be willing to go to someone and say, Look, I I know I'm not perfect, but I see some things going on in your life. that, if you don't change, you're not going to be spending eternity with God. That's true love right there, guys. That's the true love. The world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't see that. But we do. Yes, sir. Good point. We are to do that. Working out our salvation and trembling. That's what Brother Bill is talking about. What else does putting on baptism mean? Well, we mentioned a spiritual circumcision in which our sins are cut away. You might think of the Lord as being the great physician. He's been called that, right? When we are buried with him in baptism, raised to the newness of life, our sins are cut away. We are circumcised in the heart, circumcised in the spirit, not in the flesh. That's no longer part of it. Paul spends a lot of time in Romans and a couple other epistles rebuking the Judaizing teachers who are trying to say to Christians, you've got to be circumcised. He's talking now it's of the heart. It's a circumcision of the heart. And through that baptism, we cut those sins away. It's a working of God whereby we are buried with him and raised with him. okay so if all this happens when one is baptized how can you say it's not necessary I mean maybe some of you are thinking that right now I don't know how can you say it's not necessary if it's so important in the first century sadly many will say it's not necessary and they misunderstand those of us who say it is right I've had discussions with folks who say it's a work or you're trying to be regenerated through works. You're trying, you're, you're calling a water baptismal regeneration. I can remember one specific, several years ago, I had a gentleman at work. And I, when I told him, I said, he'd heard of the Church of Christ, you know, and he thought we were a cult, especially saying we're a cult, you know. And he was saying, you guys think you've got to be baptized and all this works, you've got to do all these works to be saved. That's not true. And I says, no, we don't. It's not true at all. You've been told wrong. I said, it's not the water that has anything to do with us. We're, that's how we get in contact with the blood. That's how we are saved by Christ and his death. We're buried with him. Refer to Romans 6. He said, oh, well, I didn't know that. I said, well, that sounds okay then. See, it's interesting to even someone who doesn't believe that, when you explain it like that to them, it makes more sense. There are many who don't understand what we're talking about when we say that. When we truly believe in salvation by grace through faith, Ephesians tells us that. Uh, they misunderstand people like Martin Luther, who's, he did coin the phrase, you know, we're saved by faith alone, and we have referred to him probably many times and saying that he's saying baptism is not necessary, Yet in many of his writing, I think particularly later on, as he, as he continued to study and things, he talked about how baptism was necessary. Many un- misunderstand that and will, and will use him. You know, there's, there's a Lutheran church named in his honor, which he didn't like, actually. But they would say, no, baptism was not necessary. Good point, Curtis. Saying they knew in the first century what John was talking about with baptism, repentance, and so forth. And we're—it's interesting to mention that not today, obviously, but in a couple weeks or so, we're going to study about the many baptisms that you read about in the Bible and how that kind of changed when we get to the New Testament. We'll talk about that. You had a baptism of Moses, even. You had a baptism of John the Baptist, and others. I think in total there's seven or eight mentions of different types of baptisms. But yet, in the New Testament, we get down to one. I mentioned that before. We'll talk about that later. But many misunderstand the Apostle Paul when he says things like, the purpose of baptism is to bury yourself into Christ's death and to be raised with him, failing to uh, appreciate who uh, the teachings about, who he's talking about, and these things. It's not hard to understand that, right? And we'll get into this a little bit too later when we talk about sprinkling and infant baptism, things like that, and why we should be immersed. And when you think about that symbol, being buried with him in baptism, kind of makes sense that you should be immersed, immersed, right? But we'll get into that more later. In your outline, you have a statement there that was written about Martin Luther at the end. I'm just going to read this. In case you didn't get an outline, he says, This is diligently to be noted because of the fond and fantastical spirits who go about to deface the majesty of baptism and speak wickedly of it. Paul, contrary to rise, commendeth it and setteth it forth with honorable titles, calling it the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And here also he saith that all ye that are baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Wherefore, baptism is a thing of great force and efficacy. Martin Luther himself. What's describing there, the importance of baptism. Now, I don't know necessarily, if you ask Martin Luther, were you saved before you baptized, what he would say. I would guess he'd probably say yes. But he is describing there the act of baptism being very important, leading to eternal life. So that is interesting that he would say that. Do we sometimes deface the majesty of baptism and our zeal to oppose what we perceive to be a form of work salvation? Does the world do that? Sure. It's not important. But like Paul, I think we need to be very diligent to preach it. Don't you? If it's that important that it's in the Great Commission, Shouldn't it be something that we should be preaching to the world? It's part of that plan, part of that transformation into the kingdom, part of that burial and where we're raised. Remember, what's the key, what's the kicker of the gospel? It's not necessarily the death. Sure, that's very important because that's, where our sins were paid for, right? But the kicker is that resurrection because that's when we really see, yes, we have a hope now, that hope to live with him eternally. And as I've said many times, that should give you great comfort. And that's what that baptism is symbolizing. That's part of it. Buried with him in in baptism, raised to newness of life. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.